Barber Talks with Josh Molina, and this is a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to be here with Dale Francisco, former Santa Barbara City Council member and a real player and smart mind when it comes to uh, a lot of things. And today we're going to talk about politics and the election and check in with you on your, your views and your thoughts and your punditry and analysis on all this really cool stuff we have just uh, right right up into the election. So, Dale, how are you doing today? I am fine, Josh, and I the pleasure is mine. Thank you for inviting me today. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. And, hey, let's talk about, uh, we got a couple of big races going on locally. We have school board stuff that I want to ask you about. You are a, uh, as, as we've talked about, and, and last time we talked, you sort of broke the mold. You were somebody who got elected onto the Santa Barbara City Council by being a really good campaigner, really good candidate, and just somebody who was tapped into the community and connected on issues. And you won and you did two terms and had a really successful time there. And you kind of ushered in a wave, uh, a wave of other conservative candidates to to serve for a little while there on the on the city council. So your perspective is really valid and important. Let's talk about what we're looking at. We have Brad Allen challenging Salute Carbajal for the 24th Congressional District. Let's start there. How do you see that contest uh, uh, turning out? Uh, what what Does Salute have any vulnerabilities here at all? Or is this just uh, another, another election he's going to easily win? Salute doesn't have any, any huge vulnerabilities from, from my point of view. He's in a district with, I believe, a 10-point Democratic registration advantage. Yeah. That's usually not, people usually don't contest uh, at 10 points or above. So, uh, unless Salute had committed some egregious error or there was some terrible scandal that even impressed people in Santa Barbara, his chances of losing are pretty small. Yeah. And at the same time, you have in Brad Allen a, I'm, I'm sure he's a great guy. He's a cardiothoracic surgeon pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon. So wonderful. That's great. But he doesn't live in the district. He lives in LA. He uh, ran first. Uh, the one and only time that I ran in a congressional race back in 2014, that was the last year when we still had partisan primaries. So all the Republicans were running and you know against each other and the Democrats, well, it was just lowest caps, as I recall. The uh, and I believe there were five Republican candidates, among whom uh, Brad came in fourth, which you know it was not bad; it was something. But I think the same problem that Dog and then Dogs are now doesn't live in the district, no political experience, and people who go into politics thinking, "Oh, I, I guess I'll run for Congress." <laughs> um, politics is a business, and if you have no experience, the chances of your winning the first time you run are pretty small. Yeah, in this case. Well said. Uh, I didn't know you didn't live in the district. It seems as though that should be a prerequisite. <laughs> if you want to represent an area, it feels like you should live in that area. So have some experience there. You know, he's not fundraising really well. Uh, in yeah. fact, in fact, last time I checked, it was under $30,000 that he had raised for a congressional race, which is laughable if you want to be taken as a serious candidate 
Um, there, you know, there's a Goleta City Council race where, you know, two council members have raised almost double that. You know, actually have doubled that. Yeah. Uh, why, why, why does Brad Allen run, or why does a candidate run uh, if if they're not going to try to compete legitimately in a serious way? I think what I don't know. I don't. I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I suspect what happened was our uh, brain trust at our local Santa Barbara County Republican Party dragged him in at the last minute, pleaded with him to run, and and so he he accepted, but. We have, we have a central committee that doesn't have much experience politically, to say the least. So they're not great strategists. And I'm not saying that the Democratic Central Committee here is that they're great strategists either. Uh, but on the Dem side, you don't have, the central committee doesn't run it. It's mostly the party up in Sacramento and the public employee units up in Sacramento. They're the ones who are making the financial decisions and doing the bulk of the fundraising. So, you have on the Democratic side in this county, you have professionals in Sacramento running the show. On the Republican side, you have amateurs here in Santa Barbara County running the show. And the difference shows up immediately. Yeah, I know there's some backstory with Michelle Westlander Quaid being sort of the the anointed one to run in this contest. And then the power structure may or may not have gotten Brad, uh, Brad Allen in at the last minute. And it sort of split sort of factions uh but i do recall michelle westlander quaid being a a candidate there was some buzz around and then all of a sudden yeah. it kind of went away and i was puzzled by that i mean well i don't you know i don't know about her ever having been anointed but i yeah. do know that she's a she was and and could be sometime a great candidate uh she would be a threat to salute even in a 10-point district if the year was bad enough for Democrats. So um, I don't I don't know what happened there. Again, I just put it down to sheer political amateur amateur hour on the Republican Party's side. Now, Michelle is an independent. She's not a Republican, but there's nothing preventing our local Republican Party from endorsing an independent. That's yeah. okay, according to the Santa Barbara County Republican Central Committee Charter. So that's that's they could have done that, and in my view, they should have done it. Yeah. So, what's this thinking? I know Brad Allen has done some interviews on conservative media cable. Uh, he he did something on Fox News. He did something else on one of those shows. What is the what is the thinking of how that calculus is beneficial to you? in a district or is it just a matter of people believing that their own sort of ego and wow look at me i'm on a national stage for three and a half minutes so i'm important uh i, I don't ever understood those people who run and try to appeal outwardly instead of inwardly i don't understand it either and i think if you're going to win or a local race you have to run local <laughs> that's really all there is to it. You have to focus on the issues that are important to the people that are going to, you hope, elect you. Salute's great at that. Um, I think of Salute as, for the Democratic Party today, Salute is a moderate. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, acutely attuned to the concerns, at least of his Democratic uh, 
party constituents, at least, and maybe beyond that. He is someone who at least tries to appeal to everybody in his district, and he focuses on the traditional uh, bread and butter, getting federal funding for X, Y, and Z in the district that most Congress people run. That's what they do. They, yeah. they, they brag about how much federal money they've got. That's, and Salud's very good at that. He does a good job. Yes. So if you're going to beat Salud, you have to be better locally than Salud. And that's, that's a tough hill to climb. Well, I was looking at the campaign fundraising and Andy Caldwell, he did really well. I mean, he looks like uh, the best candidate in the world compared to Brad Allen in terms of fundraising and uh, in terms of how many votes he got. I mean, right. It's, there's a big drop off this year. Then this is not to say anything about Brad Allen personally. Obviously, he's he does great work as a pediatric surgeon. Obviously, but just speaking politically, um, there's no comparison between the Andy Caldwell campaign and, and this campaign at all. Well, and think about it. So Andy has a talk show that he's on the radio every day. He has collab. He's he's been involved in this communal community politically for decades. So people know him. They may like him or they may not, but lots of people know him and the people who agree with him are willing to support him with money, with work, you name it. Yeah. So shifting gears, we have Greg Hart, who's second district, Santa Barbara County supervisor, professional politician, has you know been holding office for 20 years. And uh, now he's running for assembly and uh, he's facing Mike Stoker, who's also been around a long time and has held political office. What's your take on on this this campaign? Is this a landslide for Greg? Uh, does Stoker have a shot? Um, this is another race that most professional politicians would not take on because Greg has, I believe, a 21-point Democratic registration advantage. Wow. Mm -hmm. Again, how do you overcome something like that? Um, Greg would have to do something incredibly foolish. Again, he would have to do something absolutely disastrous to alienate voters. And Greg's not going to do that. That's not going to happen. He is, I would say, of both, I would say of both Greg and Mike, they they represent respectively the moderate center of each of their parties. And I, I heard Jerry laughing about the idea of Stoker being moderate, but no, I mean, Stoker has been a straight down the line chamber of commerce Republican from the day he got into politics, probably from the day he graduated college. So you have two candidates who exactly mirror the more or less moderate center views of their respective parties. Neither, neither of them, and this is, again, this is, I'm not trying to be personally offensive here. Neither of them is some exciting, charismatic candidate. They're both, they're nice guys who have middle of the road views. And in a case where you've got two nice guys representing middle of the road views and one, one of them has a 21 point party registration advantage, who do you think is going to win? Right. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I would be delighted. To see Mike Stoker win that race, we probably overlap on 80% of the policy views. I'm just looking at this from, a, a, I think, a realistic point of view of what do you need to do to win a race? What do you need to do to choose a race that you can win? And this one just doesn't look like it to me. 
Yeah, it looks as though it's insurmountable both for someone to beat Salud and someone to beat Greg Hart. Greg Hart is not just a Democrat. He is also somebody who is really well-liked by the John Davies of the world, you know, conservatives and moderates. And he's also over there really liked by Darcel Elliott and the liberal Democratic Party. And so that's a that's quite a range of people who respect him. Yeah. And if you run, you have to be credibly compelling and dramatic. And you can't be mean. You can't come across as mean or petty. You've got to figure out a way to to appeal, to be a crossover. Especially you can't be you can't be mean with Greg Hart because he has that winning smile. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. So so I don't know. Have you looked at Stoker's campaign? Uh, is he running a good campaign, about as good as somebody could run? Uh, is there anything you would advise him that he could have done differently? I don't know what you do differently with a 21-point disadvantage. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only thing that I've seen of Mike's campaign is his TV ads. Uh, he's been running in heavy rotation, the one about uh, Greg supporting higher taxes, which is true. And that, that will bother some people. Uh, and the other one is uh, his wife's ad on behalf of him, which she seems like a nice lady. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the strategy was there. But, you know, th th those aren't going to turn an election. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I just, I'm so, I would love to write a book one day. I think I may have mentioned this to you or somebody else, maybe Jerry, but just inside the mind of the candidate that runs when they know they can't win. Like, why do you do it? And it's not a matter of qualifications. It's not a judgment of anyone. It's just what you're saying, which is you don't want to, uh, you know, go into a, a, a fight where you know you're miss you, you're it's uh you're outnumbered you just know you know the, the underdog story is compelling but there are sometimes in politics where you can't land a lucky shot right? like it's just impossible you know so yeah i think i think the mike i'm not sure i imagine he was probably involved in politics when he was still in college and he's been in, involved in politics his entire adult life he is absolutely loyal to the Republican Party. Uh, he's a party man all the way down the line. And he may feel that just going in there for the fight, uh, per se, is important. And, you know, he, he probably wants to keep his name out there. He may not be done. Uh, he may not be elected to office, but he could certainly be appointed to office if there were another uh, Republican administration in, in D.C. That's certainly possible. So. I don't think it. I don't think it hurts him. Uh, I look at things personally. I look at things a little differently. I. I couldn't go ask. I couldn't go ask people for money to support a campaign. I didn't think that I at least had some chance of winning. But yeah. there's different ways. There's different ways to look at it. Yeah, the re relevancy is enough for some. Just the fact that you're in the mix and in the conversation is meaningful to some candidates and actually ability to win is um, secondary, 
you know, and, and so I think we see that with a lot of the Republicans challenging in these contests where they're so outnumbered in terms of party registration. I want to talk to you about uh, the school board races, and we are seeing more competitive races here than we are in terms of these big assembly and congressional contests. And I want to start with Christy Lozano, who is very, uh, it's it's an interesting tactic she's taking because when she ran for superintendent, she was everywhere. She raised a lot of money. She was on Fox News. She did her YouTube videos and she had a very strong presence in this contest. Of course, it was a countywide contest. And I will always say her highs were very high and her lows were very low. You either loved her or hated her, depending on how much you were believing what you were reading and you know what you were taking from um, her appearances in the media. And so people had these very polarizing views. And then here you are in this school board race, and she's, I don't want to say invisible, but that bombastic personality we saw is now not very dim, right? She, I think she's walking, she's knocking on doors, but she's running a very low level campaign. And I'm just wondering, do you think this strategy is going to work uh, with her name recognition? She's taking on a, a Democratic candidate who's sort of the, I mean, she's going all out in terms of her effort to try to appeal to to Democrats in the district. It's almost like she's running a, a city council campaign or something. But what's your take on Christy and, and her efforts here? Uh, I like Christy. And I think she would be good in the job. I think that, to me, I don't know it's if it's so much strategy or, or just reality. I mean, remember, she just came off, uh, as you point out, a very energetic and very tough campaign uh, at the county level. And then immediately jumped into this race. Political campaigns are exhausting. Mm -hmm. And it may simply be that she's doing about as good as she can after what she just completed weeks before. Um, So I don't have any, I don't have any inside insight into that campaign. Uh, I agree. She's nowhere near as visible this time. But I think, um, again, I think she'd be great for the job. There's a, there's a, obviously there's a lot about the issue nationwide, not, not just here, uh, about parents' rights. And that essentially is what conservative candidates for school boards are running on anyway. We had, during the COVID shutdowns, a lot of parents for the very first time saw what their children were actually being taught in school. And a lot of them were unhappy with what they saw. That led to, arguably, uh, Glenn Youngkin winning in Virginia uh, over Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe saying, well, I don't think parents should be in charge of kids' education. Uh, that will go down as one of the most uh, brilliantly uh, stupid statements in the history of American politics. <laughs> the, um, so the parents' rights issue, I think, is, is it works everywhere. But it works better where the electorate is a little more balanced. So you have uh, you have a lot of parents in even in our Santa Barbara and Bonita school districts who are upset with some of the things that their children are being taught. Do we have enough to elect Christie? I don't know. But this issue is not going away. You know, there have been articles 
And then there was an article uh, several weeks ago uh, in the Indy about uh, Hope School District and the fact that they have these books that I would argue are pornographic. I don't see how anyone can look at them and not see them. They have these pornographic books in the library. That's not good. Um, They shouldn't be there. It's It's a school library. So those are things for parents to be upset about. Now, most of the parents who are upset in the first place, never realized that these things were even going on in the school until very recently. And many of them have never been politically involved in their lives. So you're not going to get a you're not going to get a lot of professional campaigning and professional candidates right out the door. I think this is this is an issue that's not going to go away. And I think it'll develop over time. Yeah, and just to be clear, not that I'm defending anyone, but uh that that book is is a, a high school library, right? I think it was in the library at Santa Barbara High. In high schools either. <laughs> they're still they're still minors, but I I think there's also the presumption by some that these books are available at the elementary school library, and as far as I know, they're they're not. You know, they're in the high school library, which of course, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 17, 18, you know, it's still uh, impressionable minds, of course. Uh, but but just to clarify that point, you know, I talked to Christy. I had an interview with her for uh, my uh, first story I did. And I have to say that I was um, struck by the difference between how she came across in the one-on-one interview with me than how she even came across in her own YouTube video and how, certainly how she's been uh, written about, at, you know, in the media, that I found her to be uh, very caring about the issues. And I think a lot of times voters can turn on a candidate if they believe they're just saying things to get elected. And I think Christie believes what she says. I think that she's genuinely concerned and she's not looking for a path to victory, but that she actually believes that there's a lack of transparency and, and, and that she wants uh, parents to be able to know what the curriculum is and that's not to say whether to agree or not with her but i think that there's something uh good about a candidate who is so authentic and where they stand um, and, and these i mean these are not this is her being a parent with a value system and we can disagree or agree but at the end of the day all parents feel very strongly about their children and they feel very strong well they should anyway and they feel very strongly about um what their children are learning at school. So I, I, I was impressed by her ability to, to, to be sort of vulnerable and human and not come across as sort of the conservative, you know, crazy monster that a lot of people think she is, you know, um, in terms of how she's been portrayed. And certainly that Fox News. Not, not, not come across as, as a typical politician who's just looking for the next rung on the career ladder. That's not Christy Lozano. Yeah. I mean, as you say, Josh, she is extraordinarily sincere and she's extraordinarily passionate, passionate about, about education and about her students. She's exactly the kind of person you want in that role of, of, of a teacher uh, or of a leader of a school. So, yeah, I, I and it, she's, she's been painted uh, in really dark colors in some of the local media. It's just not going to be. So maybe her staying low key is maybe a strategy. Um, you know, she's just going to, you know, talk to voters at the door and do that sort of thing. Um, 
And as a practical matter, if you had one conservative on the Galita school board, it's probably good. Um, it, it, it creates at least a, a little debate. You know, if you're if you're a full blown Democrat, fine. But there's nothing wrong with having a conservative who you can constantly be forced to listen to and be able to defend your points. Uh, I, I don't. Nothing is good when it's sort of just 100. percent You know, homogenous when we're talking about political decision-making. So, Absolutely. Um, and I think, well, that, that mirrors what happened when I was first elected to city council. When I was first elected, everybody on that, everybody on that council was a liberal Democrat. And they didn't really discuss things very much because they agreed on everything before they discussed them. So uh, my presence there turned that around when we started to have debates. And that's a good thing. I mean, if, if democracy is about anything, that's what it's about. It's about hearing different points of view so you can come together and come to the come to the best policy. Yeah, and I mean, we wouldn't have had those years of you and Doss Williams going at it. <laughs> um, those epic battles. I love how those lo- lo- those local news reporters can, you know, create stories out of personality conflicts. <laughs> um, so, so Emily's going against. Uh, two candidates, which are really interesting in their own way. Emily Zacharias is sort of uh, kind of a rising star among the Democratic Party. Uh, She's a special education teacher. And it's really interesting to watch her evolve because when she started out, uh, I think she was uh, feeling her way in terms of how is she going to portray herself? And today, by now, I mean, she's all over social media. She's doing TikTok style videos. She's posing with an array of Democratic candidates and elected officials in her social media. She's walking, doing the work. I mean, it reminds me of a city council campaign where she's fully entrenched and she's helping others. Others are helping her. She's raised $14,000 or something, which is pretty good for a school board race. And so she's she's basically, you know, they're concerned that Emily, that Christie's name is enough to get her elected. So they're, they're running an intense battle. Uh, have you watched Emily Zacharias's campaign at all? And do you have any thoughts here on 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 how well she's going to do? Is that a no? No, not watching her. Okay, I, Josh. I must confess, though, uh, I've spent all my professional life working on the internet. I don't watch it very much. Okay, I don't look at social media. Oh, yeah. That's just reality. Yeah. <laughs> Well, 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 Emily's very formidable, and I would definitely call her the front runner, uh, just because uh, you know, right now as we record this, there's uh, party activists walking for her, and she's walking for herself, and they make calls during the week, and there's so much of that in kind support, and she's very likable candidate. You know, she's she's very uh, positive, and uh, I've interviewed a ton of candidates from all perspectives, and. I never feel like she's talking down to me or, you know, like narcissistic or egotistic, which, as we know, there's plenty of candidates who do that. There are a few out there, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's probably uh, going to help her at the door when she's talking to people. There's this other guy uh, in the race, uh, Bert Haley, and he is uh, kind of your consummate Galita guy. He's uh, he's coached everything. He's conservative. He's a Republican, but he's, he's just kind of like a small business owner, Galita moderate, right? He, he, he's, at least that's how he comes across. He knows a bunch of people. Uh, he has a, his wife is a principal in the district 
and he just has a lot of uh, contacts and associates. He's not raising a dime. I don't even know if he has a website. He's got a business website. He's very, very minimal, but he thinks he's going to win because he thinks that he knows people in the district from his years of volunteer work and, and contracts and people he's done jobs for. And so do you have any sense of Bert Haley? He's a Republican. I don't think he's been politically active at all. He just has the R by his name. I, I don't think he has, that he has been active politically. I haven't heard of him before, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. I'm in Santa Barbara and you know how isolated we are here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so he, you know, he's probably going to get more votes than people give him credit for because Galita connections in the community matter. If people sure. know you at the grocery store, right? And they, they, yeah. they I mean, that's how Roger Aceves could win, right? Yeah. He's been around forever. He knows everybody. Right. So what's your pick? Is Christy going to win or is Emily going to win, Dale? I don't want to say anything about that race. I haven't studied it. But you would be just fine if Christy Lozano was elected. To- I love it. Yeah, I think she. I think she would bring a voice, and you know, nothing against the other candidates, but I think she would bring a voice to the to the school board that that isn't there and should be there. Yeah. So uh, sticking on Galita, and then we'll go to Santa Barbara here in a second. Uh, Carolina Bate. Do you know Caroline Dale? What's your take I've on her? I've seen her speak. I don't know her. What do you think of her as a candidate? Oh, Josh, I wish I. Had. I'm just not an expert on some of these races because. I just don't pay that much attention. Well, Caroline is a very unique candidate because I first interacted with her. She would come to Santa Barbara City Hall pre-COVID, 2017, I guess, 18. And she'd wear her Trump, I support Donald Trump button. You've probably seen her with it. And she'd go up there and she'd speak for, I think it was two minutes at the time, perfectly. She'd start, she'd end, and she'd be done. Very polite. She would show up, and at first, the people in the room, they would groan, and they would kind of hiss at her. And then er, over time, they sort of accepted her. That At the end of the day, she was she had her views, but she's very polite and kind and cordial, and she was never... And articulate. Yeah, and, and she's never yelling at you, and she was she just sort of, this is how I feel. And, and and so she ran for Galita School Board. Now she's running for it again. Now it's a district election. She's a very hard campaigner. Um, you know, she is raising money and taking on incumbent Richard Mayer, who's been there for 40 years. He's been on the Galita School Board. And he's not raising a dime. He just thinks he's going to win. So... The, them parties endorsing him. And I quite honestly think they're underestimating Caroline because Caroline works really hard. And yes, it's easy to marginalize her as, oh, she's anti-sex education. She is um, anti-abortion. She is, you know, very anti-Planned Parenthood. She's all those things that enrage progressive liberal Democrats. She is all of those. And at a 10, Right. Uh, but I also think uh, she's works hard, you know. So I don't. Do you think a candidate like that, you know, I know you don't know Caroline too well, but in these small little races, do you think that a good campaigner can knock off an incumbent who's not campaigning at all? I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's essentially how I got on city council. Right. One of the one of the incumbents 
really wasn't campaigning. Didn't show up to all the forums, didn't have a website, wasn't out knocking on doors, as far as anybody knows. Is that Barnwell? That's, I can say his name. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I, you know, I like Brian. I don't know really like Brian, but for whatever reason, I think that he, I think he felt like he would just get elected because he was a Democratic incumbent, and that usually does happen on city councils. So I can't, can't really blame somebody for thinking that. But but Brian wasn't putting out an all-out effort. Yeah. Um, I believe that any candidate who's serious about winning an election has to put it out an all-out effort, and so the the gentleman who spoke up who's been on there for 40 years, one of the questions I would ask, after you've been on a board like that for 40 years, what more are you going to contribute? Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, not just talking about the Galita school board. I'm talking about pretty much anything. Right. Yeah. And also in Galita, Ethan Bertrand, he got he's going to get a seat. He had no opponent at all. And so he's... You know, he's he's a young guy. He's very smart, and um, I like him. No opponent. You know, he's he's automatically elected. So I think that's a that's conservatives definitely dropping the ball here in terms of not, or maybe they just thought, hey, we can't win in that district, or I think it's maybe IV or something. I'm not sure. A lot of it is just coming up with a candidate who's willing to do the work. Right. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And then so um, over in Santa Barbara, um, we got Gabe Escobedo, who's a like sort of the uh, other version of Emily Zacharias, rising star in the political Democratic Party, and he's he was he's on the planning commission too, so he does have some ties, and he's running for uh, for office. And and then there's this guy named Dan LaBerge, who is um, a, a parent. He's got a nonprofit called Mother's Helpers, where they give supplies, cribs, and, 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 and furniture to, to moms in need. It's like it's hard to imagine a a more like honorable, noble <laughs> nonprofit than to help moms who need that sort of care for their children. And uh, yeah, his kids go to Alante, which is dual language immersion school, and he kind of knows a lot of people. So. So that's an intriguing race as well. Uh, can a can an everyday dad in Santa Barbara beat the political machine, Dale? I don't know, Josh. Maybe you should give it a try. I, I've been told I'm not likable enough, Dale. <laughs> Who told you that? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think you know. Gabe obviously has the support of the machine. Yeah. That's very, very tough to overcome with this game. So, but yeah, I mean, this other gentleman sounds like uh, he's a good, he's a good guy, and I'm, uh, I'm happy he's running. I'm happy, that, I'm happy at least that the voters have a choice. You know, it wasn't that long ago that very often school board races didn't have opponents. Right. That, that, that was not uncommon. That that's changing. Yeah, well, there was that race where there were three of them just got elected without, without without opponents not too long ago before district elections. And then there's uh, Rose Munoz and uh, Phoebe Mansour, who uh, that's really close, at least in terms of fundraising. And I think people know Phoebe, and she has a little bit of a base. Uh, I don't have you. I don't know if you've had any interaction with her or not, but but Rose. Um, late, but I know Phoebe, and mm-hmm. she's been involved with the community for a long time. Yeah. A different so 
and her uh, her print shop in Molina. Um, she has a lot of, of uh, relationships with customers there. With who? She has relationships with customers. Oh, customers. Printing business in Molina. Yeah. Uh, your your vo volume dropped just a little there. I don't know Oops. if you want to. Yeah. Um, we have some microphone problems here. <laughs> that's way better. Uh, that should be better. Yeah, and, and Phoebe Manzur is also handling the the printing of a lot of the conservative candidates, I've noticed, and going through and looking at those campaign filing yeah. statements. And so um, I think she's going to do better than people might think. I, I, if there are any upsets on Tuesday... It's largely going to be, I think, from some of these um, people thinking, writing off these conservative candidates in these school board races as being too irrelevant or too uh, extreme to the right. Because they, I mean, the one thing they all agree on is this issue of sex ed and teen talk and uh, what kind of materials are, are if they're, whether they're inappropriate to be teaching children in the district that is a really strong issue that all these conservatives who are running are talking about all the time and so mansoor is one of those and uh, rose munoz who's the incumbent i think she got a little bit of a late start and again all these people are very nice they're very kind none of this talk is like them personally uh, rose munoz is a super nice person uh, but i think that uh She's going to have a little bit of a challenge here, um, you know, maybe. Um, and certainly in terms of fundraising, Phoebe's raised more money than she has. So, you know, that's... Phoebe, Phoebe's a hard worker and she's articulate. Uh, she comes across well in public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have that sort of thing going on. And it's just really, really interesting to see how that goes. I mean, it might be a just a Dem party sort of just all of them are going to win and it is what it is until the conservatives figure out a way to actually get a field game and a ground game, because that's the biggest difference there. There are no Republicans right now as we record this on a Sunday that I know of that are knocking on doors for any candidates. It just doesn't happen. Instead, you got the Dems going to Dem households, reminding them to vote. And if they just turn out their vote, they win all the time yeah. bouncing back to galita do you know roger aceves i mean he's a long time incumbent a little bit yeah and, and he's very likely going to get knocked off by luce reyes martin uh who is democratic party endorsed candidate she's on the galita school board she's a, a job um communications job for planned parenthood raised about sixty thousand dollars sixty thousand dollars for her campaign uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, Roger, Roger's been around a long time. He is a Democrat, but he's not a he's not a favored Democrat. He he's not left enough, I guess, for them. Right. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you I, think? You know, as you said, you know, Rogers Rogers been around forever. Uh, he knows tons of people. He is a Democrat, uh, but he's a, he's a, a moderate Democrat, middle of the road Democrat. He's not he's not out there on the left. So who knows, you know, who knows what his chances will be in Goleta nowadays. Um, but Roger has, uh, Roger's done a lot of good for Goleta for many years. Yeah. Yeah. Roger, he just, he, he just seems like the prototype for what you should have on a, on a Goleta city council. 
he's diverse, he's Mexican-American, he's a former cop, you know, he's a detective, former hostage negotiator. Uh, he's, what you see is what you get. And he cares about his community. Yeah, He's sort of criticized heavily because he took oil money when he ran for supervisor against Janet Wolf. Mm -hmm. And so there are people who will never forgive him for that. Right. But on the Galita Council, they still drive their cars, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, you know, and one of the things I've, I, I'm sort of just, I don't know, bothered by, but I'm just sort of intrigued by is here we have district elections, and the whole point is to increase Latino representation, and uh, you're going to bounce one Latino for another in this contest. And I guess some would say, well, that's the point, Josh. We got two strong. Latino candidates running. That's a good thing, right? But at the expense, you know, one versus the expense of the other. I mean, when we're talking about equity, I don't think we're talking like counting. We're supposed to be talking about the best qualified candidates having opportunities to run. And we're trading them here. And they're running in a district that's like Mountain View, which is like not even, you know, it's not, it's not majority minority, that district, you know? So I don't know. District elections, your thoughts on those? Are, the, are we going to be better off in these micro-local races because of them? No. No? <laughs> I was against district elections in Santa Barbara from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the, the downside of this, this supposition that the only reason that you don't have certain kinds of candidates in certain places on a, on a council or a school board or whatever, the the idea that that's because of racism is crazy from my point of view. If you have a good candidate, I think in Santa Barbara, it doesn't matter what their race, ethnicity, religion, or whatever it is. If they're, if they're a strong candidate and people believe in what they're saying, they can win. So it, all the things that I had read, because I did some research on district elections when this first came up at the city level, the places where that really begins to make sense is large cities. If you have a, the, the breakoff point tends to be around 250,000 population. At that, at that level, you get to a place where you have enough neighborhoods with significantly different needs at the very local level, perhaps than the city as a whole. And then district elections make sense uh, or can make sense. Sure. But in a place as small as Santa Barbara or Galita School District, no. I mean, I, th I think uh, at-large elections make much more sense. And you get, you get differences, let's say, for instance, Hispanic voter turnout in the, in, the, uh, in the city of Santa Barbara in the districts one and three that are designed to be Hispanic districts. It's, it's never as good. It's never as high as the turnout in other districts. And that's just reality. But that's you know, the votes aren't being suppressed. It's just there aren't as many people interested in voting or legally able to vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with, with uh, everything you said there uh, in Galita. These, it's almost not fair either. Like for, so I have a kid in the Galita school district. Okay. So I don't get to vote on anything because Ethan Bertrand is going to be my Galita council lead a district member which is fine you know i like ethan he's a good guy i think he's going to do a good job but i don't get to vote on you know who the other board members are going to be i mean that's 
<laughs> it's such a small district, right? It yeah. seems it seems a little bit like you can almost get just too small yeah, with yeah. The, this whole uh, district elections thing. And so right. the other part is what I see definitely on the city council since they became district elections is deference to your district. So, oh, if the, the, the district one council member wants this project, then everyone else is like, well, they're good and I won't really get in their way because I don't want them in my way when something comes up that I want. And yep. I, I've definitely noticed that in Santa Barbara and yeah. it's, I don't think it's good. Um, you know, I think you should, you know, when you get elected, I think I like the idea of you're representing a, a, your area, your community, but I do not like the idea of these trade-offs that go. I don't like these trade-offs and um, it just does not seem better, you know? And, and no, I think you're right. And I think that's why Santa Barbara historically before the state law that pretty much forced us to do district elections and the same state law is forcing Goleta school district to do district elections. Before that happened, Santa Barbara had oscillated back and forth over the years between at-large and district elections. So I think I think this go around of districts is the third time in city history that we've had district elections. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I mean, that that kind of horse trading that goes on between the districts that's the that's the obvious downside yes and you know in a, in a at-large list it, uh at-large election rogers getting reelected, and loose yeah. is getting elected and they're both yeah. on there and they're because they're yeah. both strong candidates in their own right and we would have two latinos on the scalita city council and we're only going to have one um, on ele after election night, wh whomever it is, you know, James Cariaco is running against Sam Ramirez, but Sam Ramirez is not going to win. Um, just he's just outnumbered in a whole bunch of different ways. There, uh, James has raised sixty-two thousand dollars in a Kalita City Council campaign. And he's running TV ads. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's running TV ads, and he's like, well, think of all the money you're paying for that to go countywide. You know, how many people are actually going to see that sort of thing? So, hey, Dale, um, before we wrap up a little bit, I want to ask you, um, as I know you're a brilliant mind on all these, all these national now, don't as start, well. Don't start a question that way. <laughs> <laughs> this is part of my shtick. Come on. What I do. Okay. Um, no, but I, I am, I am serious. You're really smart on this stuff. Elon Musk uh, has just purchased Twitter <laughs> and everyone's losing their mind because they're worried, you know, everyone's like tweeting, I'm off, I'm going to cancel Twitter, I'm off Twitter, but then they're, they're tweeting on Twitter, you know, they're going to do this. Uh, I think he wants to charge people $8 for keeping a blue check mark and having advanced features. And um, you, Dale, have always been really good at just offering a real reasoned, moderate, sensible take on things. And you're not very emotional which I think is good in politics. What do you think of Elon Musk taking over Twitter? Well, I think obviously there was, there was stringent viewpoint discrimination on Twitter uh, before the Musk takeover. We'll see what happens now. Mm -hmm. Musk has said that he doesn't want to censor anybody. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, I think that's great. So uh, Elon Musk also obviously is a very experienced uh, businessman and 
I would assume that the things he's doing that he's changing at Twitter are necessary if he wants the business to be profitable going forward. It's not clear that it was before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and he just paid, what was it? $44 billion for it. So I think he wants it to start making some money. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think that, that I don't, my take on it is we don't need Twitter. Like our, we were just fine. I mean, I was watching, a movie, <laughs> I was watching a movie the other day. It was like filmed in two, or it came out in 2004. This was before the iPhone. There's no iPhone in the movie at all. And these, the storylines were great. The movie was great. You know, it's just like people did exist without social media before. And if you don't like Twitter, get off Twitter and spend more time with your family. You're interacting with, you know, real people. (laughs) With real people in the real world or, or jump to TikTok, you know, or Instagram, like, like figure it out. Um, that's sort of my take. If I lose Twitter, I'll probably like complain for a day or two, but I would, my life would be fairly normal after that. Um, Gosh, wouldn't you say that? I mean, I, I don't look at Twitter that often, but wouldn't you say that it was, it was the marketplace for short, pithy political statements? (laughs) I mean, it's different from other social media in that respect. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. It it definitely was. And um, it's really good for sports. I like sports. Uh, It's a great way to, to sort of uh, stay up to date on scores and people's perspectives. But the problem with social media is I think is it allows people to observe creativity and then comment on other people's creativity. And it's really low bar creativity for some people. I mean, obviously there's great people on Twitter, but when you get in this 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 sort of habit of just kind of reacting to what other people are doing and then commenting, you're wasting time when you could actually be creating something of your own, whether it's in your own life or big or not. And I think we get, you know, there's a weird thing of there's validation. Somebody likes your stuff or you say something that's funny, you feel good about yourself. That's not a real feeling, though, because. If you met half these people, three-fourths of them in real life, they probably wouldn't like you, you know? Just because they like your tweet doesn't mean anything, you know? So I think that's an interesting thing. He did do some massive layoffs. I would imagine you're cool with that if you think it's more efficient. Or, I mean, what do you think? I, you know, Josh, I've been – I I can't remember how many layoffs I've been through in the tech world. Uh, it happens all the time. It's a fact of life. No. And when you get new management in, it's especially a fact of life. That's just reality. Yeah. It, it, it wouldn't matter if it was Twitter or anything else that he had bought. Yeah. Well, I mean, whenever I see that stuff, I'm like, you know, I worked at the news press. Like, I mean, I, do people not look at history every time you have a new owner and not saying anything about any owners, but uh, that's what they do. What they buy it for so they could leave it the same. Of course, they're going to fire people. You wish they wouldn't. You wish they would figure out a way to keep everybody because those are people's lives and families. But I have never seen any organization where they didn't come in and clean house. Right. Why should you be the one they keep when people who make far less money than the people employed at Twitter have been fired when a new management or new owner comes in? It's hard to have much sympathy for these people, you know, on Twitter anyway. Yeah, I think I read that the average average salary for software engineers at Twitter was two hundred and eight thousand dollars a year. 
I was thinking of, about applying, but I'll wait till after the layoffs are over. <laughs> he might like you, you know. He might be around. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we'll we'll see where where that goes. Uh, you know, Elon Musk seems like a I don't know. People love him. People hate him. Um, he seems like a kind of a weird dude. But that's you know, if you want to be on, it, it's like I don't like the people who complain. Oh, I'm banned from this. I'm banned from. It's like. It's 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 not a First Amendment right to be able to publish on somebody else's platform, right? That's not a First Amendment right. It, it's your First Amendment right to publish yourself, right? To you can you can go out there and you can say what you want and you can write what you want, but to say you have to publish me, no, that's it's that that's the business owner's right, and it, and you can disagree, but it is what it is, you know. So we'll see we'll see where that goes. Maybe I'm just grumbling because I only have a thousand and so Twitter followers, you know. <laughs> well, let, let's see. Let's see what happens under the new the new regime. Maybe that 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 number might skyrocket. <laughs> we'll we'll see. But I don't have a blue check mark just because I tried one time to get verified. It's like ten steps. I'm like, I I don't have time in my day. This doesn't mean <laughs> enough to me to you have to like upload your driver's license. I'm like I'm not doing that. Like I have work to do. Yeah. So, all right, Dale. Um, is anything else going on in the news you wanted to address, or your your legions of uh, supporters and followers, or anything? <laughs> I'm. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm doing a show. I'm doing my radio show. Actually, I'm doing my radio show with uh, Michelle Westlander Quaid on oh. Tuesday morning. Okay. You gonna talk about Brad Allen? Talk about. Pardon. You talk about Brad Allen's failed candidacy. <laughs> oh, I like I said, you know, nothing against Brad. Uh, that just doesn't look like a very uh, uh, a very likely win. Uh, but I think that there will be. I'm assuming there are going to be a lot of wins at the national level. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that, but we'll be mostly focused on local things. Yeah. Okay, and you might even you know give a plug out to a recent podcast you did. Who who knows? You know. <laughs> yeah, I might. <laughs> All right. Well, Dale Francisco, I appreciate your time. Former Santa Barbara City Council member and uh, still very knowledgeable and active in the community. Thanks for lending me and the audience your your thoughts and your views and your punditry. And we'll do this again uh, down the road. Have a great day. Thanks, Josh. You too. Take care.